before I get started, I do want to say thank you uh, for all of you that were praying for me this week. I was uh, preaching in British Columbia, Vancouver, British Columbia, in Canada, and I got back yesterday, and I'm just trying to get caught up and, and ready for today, And uh, but I appreciate all of the prayers, and I had a great time up there. I took my son Joshua with me, and I was telling the group up there, it was about the, the church up there in, in Vancouver, British Columbia started about six months ago, and there was 38 people in the service on Friday night, so they're doing a great job up there, and that is a satellite of Sure Foundation Baptist Church in Vancouver, Washington. Now, if you remember, we started... Uh, Sure Foundation Baptist Church in Vancouver, Washington, and now they've turned around and started a satellite in Vancouver, British Columbia. I was telling them I felt like I'm visiting grandchildren. I hope that we, uh, I hope that we, we get some credit and some rewards for that in heaven. Uh, but we're there, but I appreciate your prayers, and, and thank you very much. We're there in James chapter number one. If you remember last week, we started a series called Tongue Tied, and we're learning some biblical principles for the proper use and control of our words. And usually when we think of the word tongue-tied, we think of maybe like a speech impediment or the inability to get words out. This series is the exact opposite. It's not about the inability to get your words out. It's about sometimes our very excessive ability of getting too many words out. And we are learning about controlling our words and controlling our tongues. If you remember last week, you're there in James chapter 1. If you look at verse 26... We saw this verse last week. It says, if any man among you seem to be religious. We talked about the fact that if you want to be a mature person and if you want to be a religious person, if you want to be a person that people would look at and say, there goes a person of faith, there goes a person with a testimony of Christianity, part of that means you're going to have to learn to control your tongue. Because he says, if any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, he deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. And if you remember last week, we started with a sermon called A Bit for Your Mouth. And we went through and found some uh, biblical bits for our mouth. Some, uh, a, a, because James talked about the fact that we put bits in the horse's mouth to be able to control the entire animal. In the same way, if we can learn to control our tongues, we will learn to control ourselves and our lives. And, and I'm not going to preach last week's sermon, but if you remember, we talked about the fact that we should control our words by making sure that when we do speak, that we follow these, uh, these principles and that we ask ourselves this question. I hope you remember what the questions were. It's, it's, is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? In this sermon, we're going to talk about before the words even get out of your mouth. Because here's what I know about you, and I don't know all of you. Uh, I got the report that I got just right now. We had a hundred. We have 197 people in church this morning, and I appreciate that, and I praise God for that. Uh, but with 197 people in church this morning, here's what I know. I don't know all of you personally. But though I don't know you personally, I know this about you. If you've lived for any length of time, you have had a moment in your life where you wish that God would have given you a rewind button for your tongue. Isn't that true? Sometimes we'll say things and we'll wish at that moment, once the words come out of our mouth, once they uh, penetrate the ears and the heart and the mind of the other individual, we wish immediately that there was a way to just kind of pull out a, uh, a remote control for our mouth and hit the rewind button and just kind of have those words come back in. And unfortunately, God has not given us a rewind button for our tongues, but he has given us a pause button. He's given us the ability to be, able, to be able to stop the words before they even come out. Now, last week we talked about once they do come out, make sure they are true, they are kind, and they are necessary. This week we're going to talk about some strategies for keeping the words in, for keeping them at bay before they come out. Now, you're there in James chapter 1. I'd like you to look at verse 19, and this is kind of our text for this morning. But I want you to notice the very practical advice that James gave and actually gives. Now, actually, before you look at verse 19, look at verse 18 because I want you to notice that it has to do with your Christian walk and it has to do with your Christian life. In verse 18, he says this, Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This is referring to salvation, that God begat us and that we are, are, are saved through the word of truth. Notice the context, verse 19. He says, wherefore. He says, for that reason or for this reason. For what reason? Because of the fact that you're saved. If you're saved this morning, because of the fact that you're a Christian, he says, wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man, and I want you to notice the advice given by James here. He says, let every man be, notice what he says there in verse 19, swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. He says, swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to 
to wrath. Now, I'd like you to keep your place there in James chapter 1 and go with me to the book of Proverbs. If you open your Bible just right in the center, you're more than likely fall in the book of Psalms. And the very next book after Psalms, you've got the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter number 12. Today, we're going to learn about being swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. And, and here's what we need to understand is that our words can be extremely hurtful. Our words can be extremely hurtful towards those who we leverage our words against. Are you there in Proverbs 12? Look at verse 18. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 18 says this. There is, notice the wording, there is that speaketh. He's saying there are some people that when they open their mouth, when they speak, there is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword. He says there are some people that when they speak, Or when they speak to you, their words will pierce you like a sword. Their words will pierce you like a knife or like a dagger. He says, there is that speaketh like the piercings of a word, but the tongue of the wise is health. And here's... And here's the truth, and and we know this to be true. We teach our children. We tell our children, sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never hurt you. But the truth of the matter is that that adage is not always necessarily true because you know and I know that words can be extremely hurtful. In fact, the Bible says that there are some people that when they speak, they speak like the piercings of a, uh, of a sword. And I'm not trying to bring up some bad emotions or some uh, bad memories, but honestly, some of you had parents like this, who when they speak, they speak like the piercing of, of a sword. Some of you are maybe married to an individual like this, that when they speak, their words will pierce you and penetrate you and hurt you like the piercings of a sword. You're there in Proverbs 12. Go to Proverbs chapter 18. Just flip a few pages over. Proverbs chapter 18. And here's what we need to understand. Our words are extremely powerful. Our words can be hurtful and they can be leveraged to hurt others, but our words can also be powerful. They can be leveraged to help others. Proverbs 18.21 says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Your words and your tongue and your communication has the ability to either breathe life into an individual or to suck the life out of an individual. Our words are extremely powerful. Our, our words can, can build a relationship or destroy a relationship. And here's, here's what I know, and here's what I know about you, is that if you had the average parents, you probably had parents who said a lot of encouraging things to you throughout your life. You probably had parents who said a lot of nice things about you, gave you compliments and tried to encourage you and exhort you along the way. But if you had average parents, you probably also had parents that from time to time lost their cool, from time to time got in the flesh, from time to time said something hurtful. And here's what's interesting, is that your parents and my parents could say a hundred encouraging things, uh, very nice things, complimentary things to us, but isn't it true that what we often remember is those words that hurt us so deeply? Isn't it true that your wife or your husband can say all sorts of nice and positive things to you, but oftentimes when a conversation is had and we bring up a conversation that happened eight years ago, we don't usually bring up the conversation. Do you remember eight years ago when you told me that I looked really nice in that dress? That's not usually what we say. You told me, remember nine years ago when you said to me that you really appreciated the fact that I provided for you and the children? No, what do we say? Do you remember eight years ago when you said, and it was hurtful words? Do you remember nine years ago, ten years ago? Do you remember when you, I've never forgotten when you said. And the reason for that is because death and life are in the power of the tongue. Because there is that speaketh like the piercings of a word. And the exhortation for all of us is this, because our words are so powerful, We must be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. We must be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Now, I want to talk about that first phrase there, swift to hear. What does that mean? And uh, you're there in in, in Proverbs. Keep your place in Proverbs. We're going to go back and forth between James and Proverbs a lot, but I'd like you to go to the book of Joshua. Joshua uh, chapter 
uh, number uh, 22. Joshua chapter 22. In the, you start at the beginning of the Old Testament. You have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. Joshua chapter 22. What does that phrase swift to hear mean? The, the word swift means quickly or promptly. It means to do something fast. Now, when James says be swift to hear, the idea is not that you are to be fast to hear because the, your ability to hear someone is dependent on the, the, the pace of their speech. If they uh, speak quickly, then I can listen quickly. If they speak uh, slowly, then I'll listen slowly. When James says be swift to hear, he's not talking about the fact that you uh, should be fast to listen, uh, or, or, or that, that, you should, that you should listen faster, excuse me. He's not telling us that we should listen faster. What he's saying is that we should be fast to listen. He's not saying, I want you to listen quickly, or listen swiftly, or listen fastly. What he's saying is, I want you to be fast, and I want you to be swift, and I want you to be quick to hear. And here's the truth. God gave you two ears and two mouths. I believe the reason for that is because he wanted us to do twice as much listening as we do speaking. But yet, oftentimes, we are trying to do more speaking than we are listening. And sometimes we do this, and you may uh, have had experience with this. You ever had a conversation with someone where you felt like the other person was not necessarily listening to you? They were just kind of waiting for the moment when they can say what they want to say? They're kind of just waiting for you to take a breath so that they can jump in and say, and they're not really listening to what you are saying. But James tells us when it comes to our relationships, when it comes to our, our, our relations with our spouse, with our children, with co-workers, with employees, with other church members, he says we ought to be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to rest. He says we ought to be swift, we ought to be fast, not listening fast, but we have to be fast and swift and quick to listen. And you say, well, why, why would we do that? What is the point of that? What is the accomplishment? And here's the point, and I want to illustrate this to you from a story out of Joshua 22. The point is this, being swift to hear means that you don't jump to conclusions. Being swift to hear means that you take the time to process the information. You take the time to listen to all the, the entire story. You take the time to get all of the facts, to get all the details, that you don't just listen and hear for what you're wanting to hear, and then you move forward with inadequate information. Are you there in Joshua 22? I want you to notice an example of this in the Bible. I've referenced the story a lot. I think it's a very interesting story when it comes to human relationships and how we deal with others. But I want you to notice verse 11. The Bible says this, and the children of Israel heard say. Do you see those two words, heard say? The present tense of those words, heard say, would be hearsay. So the children of Israel heard some hearsay. They heard some rumors. They heard some accounts. They heard some stories. They didn't have all the details. They just kind of heard some things. They uh, were privileged to, they, they were privy, excuse me, to some hearsay. Notice what it says. Behold, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And I don't want to develop this whole story. Here's all you need to know. The children of Israel have conquered the land. The land of Israel is divided into two parts. Part of it is on the east side of Jordan. Part of it is on the west side of Jordan. Most of the children of Israel are on one side, but two and a half tribes are going to go to the other side of the Jordan. The children of Reuben, the children of Gad, the half tribe of Manasseh. Notice what it says. Behold, look verse 11. And the children of Israel heard say, Behold, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh have built an altar. Now, if you remember, God had commanded Moses to build an altar for the children of Israel. And they heard, they got some hearsay that the children of Rab, uh, of Reuben, excuse me, the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Nassi, they went to their side of the land and they built an altar over against the land of Canaan in the borders of Jordan at the passage of the children of Israel. And when the children of Israel heard of it, heard of what? The hearsay, the rumors, the stories, people were talking. Can you believe the two and a half tribes, they, the, they, they got over to the other side of Jordan. The first thing they did when they got there is they built an altar. And they heard these rumors, and they heard these stories, and they heard this hearsay. And when the children of Israel heard, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered themselves together at Shiloh to go up to war against them. And, and here's what they're doing. They're going to go to war against their brothers based on some unverified hearsay. Some things they've heard. Some rumors that have been rumbling. They don't know if it's true. 
They don't, they don't know why they've done what they've done. They don't understand why they've done what they've done, but they heard it and they're ready to move. The children of Israel are ready to go to war based on unverified hearsay. Notice verse 16, just for sake of time, we'll skip some of this. Look at verse 16. They begin to make accusations and to assign motives on unverified hearsay. Be very careful, be very careful about hearing something be very careful about hearing some news and deciding to begin to accuse or to assign motives. I know what they're doing. I know what they're up to. When you've not yet taken the time to listen and to hear and to understand. Notice verse 16. Thus saith the whole congregation of the Lord. What trespass is this? He's saying, what sin is this that ye, talking to the half-tribe of Manasseh, the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, that ye have committed against the, uh, the God of Israel. He said, you have sinned against the God of Israel to turn away this day from following the Lord in that ye have builded you an altar that ye might rebel this day against the Lord. They come with this accusation. They say, hey, we got some hearsay that you built an altar on the other side. And I know what you're up to. I know what you're doing. I know uh, uh, what you're, you're rebelling against the Lord. You're going to go worship some other God with some other altar. And this is rebellion and this is wrong. You are a sinner. Verse 23. Notice when they finally do get the other side of the story. And by the way, let me just say this. There's always another side to the story. Whenever there's conflict, there's, there's his side, there's her side, and somewhere in the middle, there's the truth. There's his side and his side, and somewhere in the middle, there's the truth. There's her side and her side, and somewhere in the middle, there's the truth. And here we get the other side of the story, verse 23. Notice what it says. It says that we, now this is Reuben the uh, Gad and the half tribe Manasseh speaking. They said that we have built us an altar to turn from following the Lord, or if to offer thereon birds offerings or meat offerings, or if to offer peace offerings thereon, let the Lord himself require it. They said, look, they're saying, hey, if it's true, what you're saying that we're doing is true, that we built an altar to forsake the altar of the Lord that, that Moses built, and that we built an altar, and we're going to sacrifice our own sacrifice. They said, if that's true, then you know what? Let the Lord himself require it. And if we have not, verse 24, and if we have not rather done it for the fear of this thing, they said, actually, we built an altar for a different reason. We built an altar not to uh, sacrifice with, not to offer uh, to the Lord, not to turn away from the altar of the Lord that Moses built. They said, we have done it for fear of this thing. Say, notice, in time to come, your children. There's a conversation here between the two and a half tribes and the rest of the tribes. They're saying, here's the reason we built the altar. We were afraid that in time to come, your children might speak unto our children, saying, What have ye to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord hath made Jordan a border between us and you, ye children of Reuben and children of God. Ye have no part in the Lord. So shall your children make our children cease from the fear of the Lord. Here's what they're saying. They're saying, We were afraid. We were afraid that now that the battling's done, now that the war's done, now that the land has been conquered, that we were going to go on the other side of Jordan. And in years to come, generations to come, your children were going to say to our children, what do you really have to do with us anyway? You're all the way on the other side of Jordan. You're not God's people. You're not the people of God. They said, we were afraid that because there's this natural divide between our land and your land, the Jordan River, that there would come a day when your side would not associate with our Side. Notice verse 25. Excuse me, verse 26. Therefore, they said, for that reason, we said, let us now prepare to build us an altar, not for burnt offerings, nor for sacrifice, but that it, that what? The altar may be a witness between us and you and our generations after us, and that we might do the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings and with our sacrifices and with our peace offerings, that your children may not say to our children in time to come, ye have no part in the Lord. They said, we built an altar. We didn't read the passage, but they said, we built an altar to see to. It's an altar that, that, that looks just like the altar Moses built, but it's not for sacrifices. It's not to burnt uh, 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 offerings. It's not to worship any God. It's just there to be able to show people, hey, there's a connection between the group on this side of Jordan and the group on that side of Jordan. 
so that your children don't say, you have nothing to do with us. You have no portion with us. We built an altar on the other side just so that people could say, look, the altar on this side is just like the altar on that side because the God that we worship is the same God that you worship. And here's all I'm trying to tell you and all I want you to understand is there was a reason, there was a reason that the children of Gad and the children of Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh, because of their situation, because of their circumstances, because of where they happened to be in life, where God had given them the land, there was a reason why they chose to do what they did that the children on the other side of the river simply did not understand. And here's all you need to get. Everyone... Everyone, whether they are right or whether they are wrong, has a reason for why they are doing what they are doing. And sometimes what we need to do in times of conflict is to simply slow down and seek to understand. It's to simply slow down and say, you know what, before we go and get all the swords and the shields and the spears and we go out into battle, why don't we, why don't we just assume, let's just Give them the benefit of the doubt that there is a reason why they are doing what they are doing. I don't see that reason. I don't understand that reason. But maybe because of where I live, maybe because of my circumstances, maybe because of my life, I don't have the same needs or the same fears or the same concerns that they have. But I'm going to assume that if they are saying this or they are doing this or if they are choosing this, they've got a good reason why they are doing that. And before I judge them, and not that there's anything wrong with judging because the Bible says to judge righteous judgment. But there is something wrong with judging when you don't seek to understand what you are judging. And because of this, James says, hey, you know what? Let's be swift to hear. Let's be quick and fast to listen. Before we open our mouths, before we give our decree, before we make our judgments, let's be swift To hear, let's try to understand. Because everyone, whether they are right or wrong, everyone has a reason for why they do what they do. Notice verse 28. Look look at how the whole thing resolves itself. Once they understand them, once they took time to listen, once they were swift to hear, verse 28, therefore said we, that it shall be when they should uh, uh, when they should so say to us or to our uh, uh, our generations in time to come that we may say again, behold the pattern of the altar of the Lord which our fathers made, not for burnt offerings, not for sacrifices, but it is a witness between us and you. They said, look, we didn't do it for burnt offerings and sacrifices; we did it for it to be a witness. Verse twenty nine. God forbid that we should rebel against the Lord. And turn this day from following the Lord to build an altar for burnt offerings, for meat offerings, for sacrifices besides the altar of the Lord our God that is before the tabernacle. And when Phinehas, the priest, and the prince of the congregation, and the heads of the thousands of Israel, which were with them, notice, heard the words. They went from hearsay to verified understanding. Let me understand where you're coming from. Let me understand what you're doing. Let me understand why you're doing it. Notice, when they heard the words that the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the children of Manasseh spake, notice, it pleased them. And and I just got a hunch that in every argument that you have with your wife, or with your husband, every argument you have with a coworker, or with your boss, or with your employees, every argument that you have with your pastor, or every argument that you have with your fellow church members, every argument that you have with your uh, coworkers or your neighbors, I just have this hunch that though you might get to the end of that conversation saying, I would never do that, I would never say that, I would never make that choice, though you may get to the end of the conversation and say, we're not going to see eye to eye on this, I don't, we just see things differently, and we would do things differently. But now that I understand why you're doing it, I can, at, I, I can at least accept that there's reasoning behind it. I can accept the fact, instead of just me imposing my thoughts, my thoughts is that you hate us. My thoughts is that you're rebellious. My thoughts is that you just want to fight against us. But now I see. Now I see <laughs> that your actual motivation was unity. And you have a fear, whether it's founded or not, that because of where you are and because of where we are, there might come a day when you are not seen as one of us. And here's all I'm saying. We must be swift to hear. We must be swift to hear. We must be fast to listen. Not necessarily that we must listen fast, 
but we must give listening the priority. Can you go back to Proverbs? Go to Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs 18. That story illustrates that for us. But I want you to notice the principles found in Scripture. Proverbs 18, verse 13. Proverbs 18, verse 13 says this. Notice what the Bible says. Children of Israel could have, could have, uh, could have uh, avoided an entire drama series there in jo- uh, Joshua 22 if they would have known Proverbs 18, 13. The Bible says this. He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. And here's the point. When it comes to relationships and communication, we must be swift to hear. We must give a priority to understanding. We must seek to understand. We must seek to understand. That doesn't mean that there might not come a judgment. That doesn't mean that there might not come a disapproval. That doesn't mean that there might not come a a, a conflict where you say, well, I just don't see it that way. I don't agree with you. I don't think that's the right way to do it. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't go there. I wouldn't make that choice. But now that I know why you're doing it, at least I can understand the motives behind it. So you say, Pastor, how can, I, how can I keep from those moments when I put my foot in my mouth? When I allow things to come out of my mouth and I realize afterwards that I spoke too soon. And I realize afterwards that I said too much. And I realize afterwards that I didn't have all the details. I didn't know all the information. I didn't get all, the, uh, all, all, all of the info. I didn't understand what they were going through. I didn't understand what they were thinking about. And I said something, and it was hurtful, and it was wrong, and it was me. How can I avoid those moments when I wish I had a rewind button, but I don't? You say, how can I avoid those moments? Here's how you can avoid it. If you, if you commit in your heart... To before you open your mouth, be swift to hear. Before you give your judgment, make sure that to the best of my ability, to the best of my ability, I want to understand the situation. I've had to learn this the long way. The the long way, good night, the hard way, and the long way. (laughs) I've learned this the hard way as a pastor. As a pastor, oftentimes I have to kind of be the the, the referee (laughs) between conflicts and, and situations. I, I've, I've learned the hard way that sometimes an individual will come to me and they'll say, that pastor just want to let you know, X, Y, and Z, this happened, whatever. And I'll be like, they did what? I can't, but I am, that is so wrong. And I go and chew somebody out and it's like, well, did they tell you that? Well, no, they left that part out. I've had to learn that as a pastor, sometimes people come to me with situations and I say, hey, thanks for telling me that. Let me, let me, get the, let me, let me do my best to get the full story. Let, let me do my best to get all of the details. Let me, let me do my best to get the other side of the story. Let me, let me do my best to think about it, to pray about it. Why? Because we often, look, we often make mistakes, and you know this is true. The times that you've had to go to your wife to apologize, the times that you've had to go to your husband to apologize, the times that you've had to go to your children, and look, there is power in going to your children from time to time to apologize. Don't, don't raise your children with this mentality that, Mom and dad are perfect. We make no mistakes. No, there is none righteous. No, not one. And it's good from time to time to say, listen, son, listen, daughter, listen, honey, I spoke too soon. I'm sorry. I spanked too soon. I'm sorry. I thought you did X, Y, and Z. I lost my cool. I gave my judgment. And I didn't realize until afterwards that actually this is what actually happened. This is what actually is had been said. This is what actually went down. And here's what I'm telling you. You'll have less regrets. you have less regrets if you learn to be swift to hear. Swift to hear. Let's talk about that second phrase, slow to speak. He says swift to hear, slow to speak. You're there in Proverbs. Go to Proverbs chapter 17. Proverbs 17. The Bible teaches this concept that speaking too much often gets us in trouble. Isn't that true? Speaking too much often gets us in trouble. Proverbs 17, verse 27. Notice what the Bible says. He that hath knowledge, he that hath knowledge, here's what that means. Let me give you what the, what the Greek means. The guy that's smart. I'm just kidding. I don't, I don't know what the Greek means. But it says, he that hath knowledge, here's what he's saying. If you're smart, if you're smart, he that hath knowledge spareth his words. 
And a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. Even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise. And he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. I love that quote in the bulletin. It is better to remain silent at the risk of being thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Because sometimes once the words get out, we can't pull them back in. And I would, look, silence may be misunderstood. Silence may be misunderstood. There may be a situation, and there have been situations where I stayed silent. People ask me, what do you think about that? I I don't have anything to say about that. What do you think about this situation? I don't have anything to say about that situation. It's not my place. It's not my problem. And we'll talk about that next week in our busy body and gossip sermon. What do you think about this? I I don't think anything about that. I don't have anything to say about that. Well, that means that you must side with... And whenever you say silent, everybody thinks you side with whoever they want you to not side with or to side with, whatever they're trying to accomplish. Silence may be misunderstood, but I will tell you this. Though silence may be misunderstood, it will never be misquoted. And sometimes it is smart to keep your mouth shut. Sometimes it is smart to just not say anything. Sometimes the best answer is no answer. I don't know, Pastor. I think you're just a little, uh, a little liberal and you're lacking courage. Okay, well, do you think that the Lord Jesus Christ was a little liberal and lacking courage? Because if you study the life of Christ and the Gospels, there were times when situations were brought to him. There was times when questions were brought to him, and he understood that this is a setup. This is a catch-22. It doesn't matter what I say at this point. One group or both groups are going to use it against me. So what does he say when they come to him and they say, Hey, should we stone this woman? Because if you say yes then we're going to accuse you against the Roman Empire because you're trying to get us to follow laws that the Roman Empire doesn't uh, follow. But if you say no, then we're going to accuse you of, of, of going against Moses because you're trying to get us to do things that Moses said to do. What's the answer? And Jesus says, nothing. You know the story. He doesn't answer. What do, what do you think? Well, he that had no sin has the first stone. He doesn't answer the question. You say, why? Because sometimes the smartest thing to do is to keep your mouth shut. Sometimes the best thing to do is to be swift to hear and to be slow to speak. Proverbs 23, look at verse, or excuse me, Proverbs 21, look at verse 23. Proverbs 21, verse 23. Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 23 says this. Whoso keepeth, you see that word keepeth there? The word keep, keepeth, means to refrain or to hold back. Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue, keepeth his soul from troubles. If you are able to refrain and hold back your tongue and your mouth, you will refrain and hold back your soul from troubles. Why? Because speaking too much and being too opinionated often gets us into trouble. Proverbs 13 and verse 3 says this, He that keepeth his mouth, Proverbs 13 verse 3, He that keepeth his mouth keepeth his life. Proverbs 13 verse 3, I want you to see this. Proverbs 13 verse 3, you're right there, just flip over. Proverbs 13 3, He that keepeth his mouth keepeth his life. Notice the last part of verse 3, But he that openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. You're there in Proverbs 13. Just flip a few pages back. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. Notice what the Bible says. Proverbs chapter 10, and verse 19. In the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. But he that refraineth his lips is wise. Look, when there's a lot of talking, there's going to be sin. Why? Because we often put our foot in our mouth. Because we often uh, bring, allow words to come out that are not proper. We often allow things to be said that should not be said. And at those moments, we often sometimes regret and wish that we had a rewind button. But, it, but you don't have a rewind button, so learn to use your pause button. Oftentimes when we speak, oftentimes when we speak, we get ourselves into trouble. Go to Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs chapter 15. We're, we're looking at passage in Proverbs. It should be fairly easy. You're there in Proverbs 10. Just flip a few pages over. Proverbs 15. When we speak too much, we often get ourselves in trouble. You say, okay, so what do we do? Here's what we do. We learn to speak. We learn to speak only after we have thought out what we are going to say. We learn to speak 
Only after we have thought out what we are going to say. Proverbs 15 and verse 2. Notice what it says. The tongue, the tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright. A wise person uses their tongue with knowledge. They do not speak without knowledge. They do not speak without understanding. You need to give me an answer. I can't give you an answer for that right now because I don't know enough. I don't have all the facts. I haven't heard the entire story. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge aright. Look at verse 28. The heart, same, same chapter, Proverbs 15, 28. The heart of the righteous studieth to answer. The righteous person doesn't just answer it. Let me give you my opinion. Let me tell you everything I think. No, no, no. You know what a righteous person does? They take the time to study to answer. You know how you study for a test? I'm going to be tested on this. I better know all the information. A smart person will say, you know what? Before I open my big mouth and say something I'm going to regret, I'm going to take some time to think and study and be diligent because the heart of the righteous studies to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Proverbs 29, verse 11. And this is, this, this is an issue that we have in, in, in our culture in the United States of America today is that in our culture in 2019, it has become a virtue to be an idiot with your words. You will meet people who will say the craziest things, the most hurtful things, the most annoying, rude, disrespectful things. And they'll say, well, I just tell it like it is. Like it's some sort of a virtue. Like, like it, well, I, I'm just the type of person, I just tell the truth. I just tell the truth all the time. Like it, like it, like it makes you better or something. Like it makes you, I'm just the type of person, I just, I, just, I just call it out the way it is. Oh, really? Proverbs 29 11 says this, A fool uttereth all his mind. A fool uttereth all his mind, but a wise man keepeth it till afterwards. And here's the point. You don't have to say everything you think. And the Bible says that if you cannot figure out how to put a filter between here and here that stops some words, if you cannot figure out that, that not everything that you think, that not every opinion that you have, that not every thought that comes into your mind has to be spoken out of your mouth, the Bible says you are a fool. And you say, ah, oh, Pastor, I can't believe you're calling me a fool. I didn't call you a fool. Solomon did. I didn't call you a fool. God did. Because a Fool uttereth all his mind, but a wise man keepeth it in till afterwards. So James is teaching us. He's teaching us. You want to have good relationships? You want to be mature and religious? You want to be a perfect man, a whole man, a complete man and woman of God? You want to be someone that has came in maturity? You need to learn to be slow to speak. You need to learn to be swift to hear. You need to learn to stop yourself and be give priority to listening. Give priority to understanding. Give priority to making sure you understand the situation. You understand what's going on. You understand why they are doing what they're doing. Because here's the thing. Whether they're right or wrong, I bet you there's a reason why they're doing what they're doing. And then you're slow to speak. You study. You think. You study and you meditate. You study and you think, what am, I, what am I saying here? Why am I going to say this? Is what I'm saying true, kind, and necessary? Does this need to be said? How does it need to be said? Why does it need to be said? As, as a pastor, I, I, I hold a, a position. The Lord has given me a, a position of a small amount of influence. Whatever influence we have at Verity Baptist Church, I, I praise the Lord for it. None, none, none of my making or your making is God's favor on our lives. But I've learned this, that because of the position of influence that I have, I have to be very careful about what I say and how I respond. There are often times when someone asks me a question and I'm going to e- email them back a response or text them back a response. I'll, I'll take the text message to my wife and I'll say, honey, can you take a look at this? Tell me what you think. Is it the right attitude? Is it the right spirit? Is it all spelled right? I'll say, I'll think to myself, or I'll ask my wife, I'll say, if this got posted on Facebook, would I be ashamed of it? It's not meant for Facebook. It's not meant for social media. It's a private conversation, but you can't really trust a lot of uh, people nowadays. If this email got forwarded, if this email got printed in the newspaper, if this text message got posted on some Facebook group, would I be ashamed or embarrassed of what I'm saying? Say, why would you take that? Oh, pastor, that's why it takes you so long to respond to my text message? Yeah, that's why. (laughs) Why would you take so long to respond? 
Because a smart person will study to answer. A wise person, a wise person will be swift to hear, slow to speak. Let's talk about the third one, slow to wrath. Slow to wrath. You say, well, what does being swift to hear and being slow to speak speak have to do with being slow to wrath? Now, keep your place there in Proverbs. We're going to come back to it. But go to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. In the New Testament, the first book of the New Testament should be fairly easy to find. Matthew chapter 5. In the Bible, there is a connection between wrath or anger and saying the wrong thing. And I'm going to show this to you from the Bible, but we don't really need to look at it from the Bible because you know that's true. You know it's true that when we are angry, we say the wrong thing. Someone said to me once, when someone's angry, they tell you the truth. And that may be true, but when someone's angry, they tell you the truth in the wrong way. And often, the words we regret, often this is how our apologies go. I'm sorry I said that I was angry. I was so upset, and I said, and I regret, I'm sorry. And we'll say, it's because I was angry, it's because I was mad, it's because I was upset. Here's why. Because the wrong words are often connected with the wrong attitude, the wrong spirit, and an angry or wrathful spirit. Are right, there in my, Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 22. Notice what the Bible says. There's a connection, there's a connection between wrath and the wrong words. Matthew 5, 22. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry. Now, let me say this. There's nothing wrong with being angry. The Lord Jesus Christ was angry. If you study it in the Gospels, God is often angry. Nothing wrong with being angry. The problem that we have as human beings is that often when we are angry, we lose our control and our anger leads us to sin. Here it says that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall, notice the connection, say. See how it says they're angry and that comes out in their words. He says, whosoever is angry, then he says, whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say to the uh, thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. And I want you to notice that Jesus makes this connection between being angry, unjustly, wrongfully angry. You're angry without a cause or a proper cause. And then you say the wrong thing. You say the wrong thing. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. You're there in Matthew. You're going to go Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. If that's too much for you, just jot down the reference. I'll read it for you from the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. I want you to notice the connection between wrath and the wrong words. Wrath and the wrong words. Ephesians 4, 25 says this. Wherefore, putting away lying, that has to do with your words, Speak every man truth, that has to do with your words, with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So notice, Ephesians 4.25, the, con- the verse has to do with words. Putting away lying, the wrong type of words, and making sure we use the right type of words. Speaking every man truth with his neighbor. Notice verse 26, here's the context. Be ye angry and sin not. Why would he connect the, the, right, the wrong type of words and the right type of words with being angry? Because wrath is often associated with wrong words. He says, be careful with your words and be careful with your wrath. He says, be angry and sin not. And again, that proves you can be angry and not sin. Jesus was angry when he cast out the people uh, making merchandise of the house of God, but he did not sin. The problem with us is that we often allow our anger to lead us into sin because we lose control of our tongues. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Are there any Ephesians? You got Philippians, Colossians. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. Look at verse 8. Colossians chapter 3. Look at verse 8. Colossians 3 8 says this, but now ye, but know ye also, oh, good night. But now ye also put off all these. He's telling you, hey, put these things off. Don't, don't put this on. It's like a garment that you put on. He said, don't put on the garment of anger, wrath. Malice, blasphemy, filthy communication. Notice, anger, having to do with wrath. Wrath, having to do with wrath. Malice, having to do with wrath. Blasphemy, having to do with your words. Filthy communication, out of your mouth, having to do with your words. Why does he connect these two? Here's why he connects these two. Because it is often when we are angry and wrathful when we say things that we regret. So he says, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. You say, well, how can... How can I get... Go back to Proverbs. We're going to look at 
Four references in Proverbs, and we'll be done. They're all in Proverbs, so you can get back to Proverbs. Uh, if you kept your place in Proverbs, go back there. In the center of your Bible, book of Psalms, right after Psalms, you got Proverbs. We're going to look at four places in Proverbs. We'll finish up. Say, how can I keep from getting angry? Sometimes I get so angry. Here's how, here's how you do it. You're swift to hear and slow to speak. You're swift to hear and you're slow to speak. Because here's what I know. You may not agree at the end of the conversation. You may not see eye to eye at the end of the conversation. But you will probably not be angry if you can see where they're coming from. You will probably not be angry if you can understand their reasoning. You will probably not be angry. You might still say, I would never do that. I would never go there. I don't think we should do that. I don't think you should do that. But you will probably not be upset if you can at least understand why they are doing what they are doing because everyone, whether they're right or wrong, does everything for a reason. You will also probably not be angry if you wait. We often criticize the, uh, you know, when, when they make you wait to get a gun. You know, you go buy a gun. Like, well, you got to pick it up in three days. Why? It's a cooling off period. In case you're, you're like, ah, I'm angry right now, you know. Uh, and obviously, I think that's dumb and whatever. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not promoting that. But, you know, with your words, it might be wise to institute a cooling off period. Amen. We're going to come back to this conversation in three days. We're going to come back to this conversation. Sometimes I get so angry, and I, I, I want to preach a sermon, and I want to say something, and I get so angry, and I tell myself, I'm going to preach this sermon in six months. And six months later or eight months later, it just doesn't come out as angry. Why? Because when we are swift to hear and when we are slow to speak, we will often be slow to wrath. We will not be upset. We will not be angry. And if you can learn to not speak out of anger, you will learn to not regret your words. Proverbs 14, verse 29. Notice what the Bible says. Proverbs 14, 29. He that is slow to wrath... How can I be, I'm just on a hair trigger, Pastor. I've got a short fuse. I get angry a lot. I get mad. Notice, he that is slow to wrath is of great understanding. The more understanding you have, the slower you'll be to wrath. But he that is hasty of spirit, exalted folly. He that is hasty of spirit, exalted folly. Proverbs 17, verse 27. He that hath knowledge spareth his words, and a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. You know how you can have an excellent spirit? Seek to understand. You may not agree. You may not agree. But you can maintain an excellent spirit if you seek to understand. Say, how can I seek to understand? Stop talking and listen. Because when we argue with people and when we have conflicts with people, the truth is that we're not getting what we want. They're not getting what they want, but we all want the same thing. Isn't that true? From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your own lust that war in your members? Here's what I know. I will get mad when I feel like, you're not listening. But they often are mad because they feel like, I'm not listening. And doesn't the Bible say that we should treat people the way we'd like to be treated? So if you want her to slow down, if you want him to slow down, if you want them to slow down, if you want them to take time, if you want your parents, if you want your siblings, if you want your coworkers, if you want your boss, if you want your pastor, if you want your, your spouse to, to just seek to understand, then why don't you take the time? To seek, to understand. Because when we are swift to hear and slow to speak, we will be slow to wrath. Go to Proverbs chapter 15. The process of being slow to wrath is to seek to understand. The purpose of being slow to wrath is to answer properly. Proverbs fifteen eighteen says this, A wrathful man stirreth up strife. But he that is slow to anger, a piece of strife. People that are slow to anger, they calm things down. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. We're not to come into situations and there's already conflict and we're just going to pour. There's already a little bit of a fire. Remember, the tongue is a consuming fire. It's a tongue, a little fire kindles such a matter, James tells us. We don't need to come into hostile situations and pour gasoline. 
We need to be slow to wrath that we might appease strife. Proverbs 15 and verse 1. You're there in Proverbs 15. 15. Look at verse 1. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. We're learning about being tongue-tied. This thing is untamable. It's out of control. And I need to tie that thing up and learn to control it. I need to lasso it and put a bit in there. And last week, last week we learned about making sure that when the words come out, when the remember, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. For that which is, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Last week we learned that our words need to be true, kind, and necessary. Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? I repeated it a lot last week because I'm hoping you'll remember it. In fact, I, I preach this a lot. This this concept. If you come to our church for any length of time, you you've heard me say, "Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? Is it true? Is it kind and necessary?" You say, "Pastor, why do you repeat yourself a lot?" Because I want you to learn it. Because I want you to remember it. Because I want you, when you're home on Sunday night and you're in the midst of a big fight, you just hear these words in your, in, your, in your mind. Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? Like, somebody turn past your minutes off. Turn that sermon off. <laughs> is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? But I want you to remember these words. Swift to hear. Slow to speak. Slow to wrath. Swift to hear. Slow to speak. Slow to wrath. We need an answer. Swift to hear. Slow to speak, slow to wrath. What do you think? Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. You will have less regrets. You will have less conflict. You will be happier and you will look smarter if you are swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for these great passages in Scripture that teach us about relationships. Lord, thank you for the fact that you give us a book that not only teaches us doctrine and teaches us holiness and teaches us how you want us to live our lives, but you give us a book that teaches us how to have relationships, how to treat others, how to deal with one another and how to one another one another. And Lord, I pray you'd help us. I pray you'd help us to remember, is it true, is it kind, is it necessary? I pray, Lord, you help us to remember to be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. We pray that you would help us. Help us, Lord, to learn to control and to tame, to bridle our tongues. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.